It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Everybody, welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me today is uh, it's just me and you, John. John Schwartz is here. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Happy, you know. happy Hope Week. Happy Hope Week. Um, so we're right in the middle of the 10th annual Hope Week, which is the week every year that the Yankees go out into the community and make a difference. They shine a spotlight on organizations or individuals who otherwise don't really get the opportunity to be lifted up in this way. So how was your event yesterday? You did Tuesday's event. I did Monday's event. It is Wednesday today. And you're going to be hearing this on Friday. So we will have finished Hope Week by then. But really Hope Week lives on. Hope Week is forever. Uh, yesterday was, you know, it was a really nice event. People might remember in mid-April, um, the Yankees released a video um, lending support to a young girl who had made her own video holding, you know, white note cards with a message about how she had been bullied. And kind of the point of the message was, you know, we got your back. Bullying, obviously, we won't stand for it. And also, you know, if they won't let you have lunch with them, you come have lunch with us. Her name is Cassidy. She came out. She got to see the clubhouse, you know, with her family. And then the Yankees brought her over to uh, Heritage Field, side of the old Yankee Stadium, where they played kickball with a bunch of Yankees players. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, re- you know, legit Yankees <laughs> player. <laughs> the tall guys. The tall guys. Dellen was there. You know, they played kickball. They were joined by a group from a bunch of kids from a group called No Bully, um, which really works to eradicate bullying in schools. And it was just, you know, it, it was really, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. I It was just a very hopeful and optimistic and sweet day. I, I was talking to someone yesterday, and I'm sure... I speak for a lot of people here in the organization when I say this. You know, this is the real world, and things are busy. Things are hard. I am certainly (laughs) known to uh, have a little bit of cynicism in how I approach things and how I view some things. And, you know, whatever it is, I don't know what does it, but, like, I have zero cynicism when it comes to Hope Week. Hope Week is just one of those things that every year it is a lot of work. It is a lot of running around. You know, this year we're trying to close a magazine at the same time. It always seems to fall on like a deadline week too. It's not not an ideal week for us, but (laughs) it's also just like you watch these players. I think that Austin Romine had more fun than any of the kids the event was for yesterday. And you could just see how much they're enjoying getting to do this kind of stuff. And it's nice. And it's also just an unallied good, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah, same thing on Monday. We did in Westchester County with the Muddy Puddles Project, which is was formed after um, a little boy named Ty died of brain cancer in his family. His mom asked him when he was going through treatment what he wanted to do most when he was better, and all he wanted to do was jump in muddy puddles. And so after he passed away, his family in lieu of flowers asked that they send that their friends and family send pictures of their children or people they know just jumping in muddy puddles and they got so many of those pictures back that they they had to do something they knew it was kind of a movement so they formed this foundation and every year they have a mess fest where they just get kids coming in and and 
jumping around in mud, throwing some paint, throwing pies in people's faces. And this year the Yankees joined them and they got muddy. They got messy. They were messing around with um, with a lot of kids who either are going through treatment or their families are supporting the cause. And it was just an amazing day. And Jenny, Jennifer Steinbrenner Swindle, um, general partner and vice chairperson of the Yankees, uh, George Steinbrenner's daughter, is huge in these events. And she comes every year. She tries to go to every single event. And she, too, was getting muddy with these uh, with these kids. It's It was, like you said, John, it was a really hopeful day. It was a fun day. It was just a day away from baseball in and an opportunity for the Yankees to do some good and bring some joy to people who are otherwise struggling. It's- you know, I mean, you know what the funny thing for me, and you know, not to get too uh, weepy when I say this, you know, there are a lot of days when I go home trying to think of, you know, maybe ways that I could be a better writer, maybe I could be a better editor, um, and a better employee, whatever. But God, I was fact checking your story about money puddles, and I literally went home that day, like trying to think of ways that I could be a better father. Like I'm just thinking about like all these times that I say no to my kids, and just the message of this was just, like say yes to your kids. You know, the, your kids want to jump around in the mud, like. You know, you can vouch for this, Hillary. The mud came out. Like it, it, it probably took a while and a lot of work, but the mud came out. I did. I did also jump in the mud for the listeners. I was quite muddy. It it does. It comes out. Yeah. You know, it takes. You know, you take a really long shower that day. <laughs> but the fun that you have in the meantime, just throwing mud around with your friends and with with kids and just having a good time. It's it's worth the dirty clothes and the three <laughs> loads of laundry that you have to do later. It's just. It, it's a very. Look, I mean, there are three more events uh, the rest of the week, which, you know, well, some of the nature of Hope Week is that this stuff kind of stays secret until it happens. Um, You know, but obviously you'll be able to read about this stuff both on Yankees.com and also in Yankees Magazine in July. But it's just, you know, again, there's a lot of reasons when it comes to Major League Baseball teams to be cynical about a lot of things. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we're not a house organ. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, we don't maybe look at some things in the sport with rose-colored glasses. But it's just it's very hard to see a negative in Hope Week. It's just a really wonderful thing that the Yankees do. It's a wonderful idea by the team's head of communications, Jason Zillow. And you lead up to the week and you're very busy. You get through the weekend and you're exhausted. But just every time you're at one of these events and – you know, you're seeing the kids smiling and you're seeing the players smiling. It's just really hard not to appreciate. We get to be a small part of something like this every year. Yeah, it's always inspiring to me. And I don't know, giving back, it's probably my Catholic upbringing and all the years in Catholic school, but I've been taught as a person and it's just important to me to, to give back as much as you can. So to see the Yankees do this and to be a part of it is is always inspiring to me as well. So. And I... You know, there, there are stories that don't always get told about this stuff. And, you know, some of them, you know, they shouldn't be told because it's people who choose to do things, you know, for themselves and on their own. And, you know, everyone kind of knows little secondary pieces of the Hope Week stories of, you know, things that happen when the cameras kind of turn off that are pretty wonderful to hear. And just one thing I'll say, there's doing everything that's right, you know, kind of for the players to give these kids a good time. And I, I just got to say, the, the little girl yesterday who was at the center of this event, Cassidy, you know, this was a lot. This was a lot to deal with. The event, just for a little backstory, was right across the street from Yankee Stadium, which meant that, like, a lot more players signed up than usual. A lot more media was willing to come because there was a game that night and it was an easy yeah. event to be a part of. This was just a lot to deal with for what seems like a fairly shy girl. And you could see at times that she wasn't that comfortable with all the attention. And I'm telling you, there was not a minute that... 
Dellen Betances was not standing by her side, not, you know, trying to attract attention and not trying to be loud and get the cameras to look at what he was doing. But he was just standing next to her and just basically saying, like, you know, hey, you know, are you okay? You know, let's have some fun. Let's do stuff. It was quiet. He's quiet. It was quiet. It wasn't a lot of the players were doing a great job, you know, being kind of like hype men and MCs and really trying to get the kids fired up. Dellen was just trying to make sure that she was okay the whole time. And it was really special to see, you know, Dellen's not as young a player as he might seem sometimes. I, mean, I think what's he, 28 or 29. Yeah. He's in um, his late twenties now. Yeah. I mean, he seems like still a kid in some ways. Um, cause he's so quiet, I think, but like you just saw just a real good person, like knowing kind of what this girl needed at that moment. And it wasn't, you know, everyone kind of around her going crazy. It was just someone's kind of standing with her and just, you know, telling her it's cool and you do what you want to do yeah you really get to see a different side of the players uh, especially when you take them out and you put them in situations like this you see that these are just human beings they're good guys and they want to do good as well they want to impact their communities and use their platforms that they're given and the Yankees give them a huge platform to to make a difference and I think a lot of the guys use it well and you know and it's like you do this stuff and you see this stuff and everyone has fun and everyone laughs and everything like that and then there's a baseball game that night and it's just you know it's a couple hours later and then you're just watching the guys do what you're used to seeing them do you saw on monday star of the show Didi gregorius throwing mud on everybody and then you know <laughs> last night he hits two home runs and it's just to a lot of people kind of like the amazing things that they do are the two home runs and it's just kind of cool to see the other amazing things that some of these guys can do so you know yeah. we, we've said enough about this probably <laughs> um i will point out that you know in the spirit of hope week one story that we really were very excited to get into uh the june magazine which just went on sale on tuesday night is a story that you wrote about the foundations that players establish, the work that they do in the community. Um, you know, Hope Week is one Yankees-oriented event of this nature, but, you know, there are so many players on this team, and, you know, you could start right off with the picture and the opening spread, CeCe Sabathia. I mean, baseball is very much one part of what, what kind of work these guys do. Mm-hmm. I will, before I let you speak, I will uh, make a point that I made to you during the editing <laughs> process. I sometimes recoil. Um, you know, I, I understand how the world works and I understand, you know, what is and what isn't important. And I sometimes push back when you start dealing with players, charities, things, when people say, you know, this is the stuff that's really important is the charity work and, you know, baseball doesn't matter. I think baseball does matter. I think that what these guys do is important. I think that the market speaks and, Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people sometimes, you know, get caught up in that. And there's obviously importance there. But that should not take anything away from the way that they use the platform that their fame from baseball offers them. And I think you did really a terrific job highlighting not just a bunch of the different guys, but a bunch of the different like philosophies and methods that they use. This is not a new topic for you. You covered it a lot in your David Robertson story. I know it's, you know, something that's really close to your heart. So just what what surprised you, I guess, in the reporting of this? I think so the idea for this story really started kind of over the off season. I was doing a, a very small piece on on Ben Heller and he and his wife, Ben Heller is one of our minor league pitchers. He was up a little bit last year in the majors and is recovering from surgery this year, so he's on the DL. But he and his wife went to Guatemala for a mission trip and it's huge in his life. And this is a young guy. He's not even really in the majors yet. He's had a few games up here, but giving back is so important to him. And then it made me think of all the guys in the clubhouse who also give back and why that's important to him. And I just wanted to kind of get to the root of what drives them. Why do they want to do it? And 
So what surprised me is is how young that they start. Like I was talking to Luis Severino, who is a very young man. He's like 23 years old and he's been in the majors for a few years now, but he for two years already has been trying to form this foundation with his wife in the Dominican Republic where they're from because Luis Severino grew up in a not great neighborhood going to schools with not great supplies and he made it you know to the major leagues and has this opportunity to give back and he wants to give other people this opportunity to give back and I think that's what drives a lot of the guys is someone like Cece Sabathia too grew up in Vallejo California also with a single mom who was working two jobs and he didn't have all the resources that he needed he spent a lot of time at the boys and girls club and that made an impact on him so it's it's I think how these guys grew up and what left a lasting impact on them is what makes them want to give back, which makes total sense. Like CeCe Sabathia does so much work with Boys and Girls Clubs and his foundation, the Pitch In Foundation, which he formed with his wife, Amber, is all about serving kids in the inner cities, which is where both CeCe and Amber grew up in Vallejo, and just giving them opportunities that they might not otherwise have. And, you know, one thing I, I've always admired about the Sabathias and the work they do, you know, and I, and I don't mean this in any kind of negative way. I hope it doesn't come off that way. They chose a small subject, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I had an opportunity a few years back to do some work with the foundation. I ran the New York City Marathon with CeCe's team. And you won it, didn't you, I, 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 I quite <laughs> surely did not win it. I think I got, I think I got second. I ran with his team and I wrote a story about the fundraising process and all the work the charity does. And, you know, one thing she said to me is, you know, they could be just any other charity raising money for cancer. And that would be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be great. Cancer is a good thing to raise money for. But she felt, you know, I wasn't personally affected by cancer. Mm -hmm. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. This is something that means something to me to help these kids out. And I'll tell you, you know, you get you, you spend a couple hours (laughs) <laughs> with uh, that foundation and you become a member for life. Um, I am still constantly getting emails from them and trying to figure out ways to go to their events and handle things and work with them. And that's their goal. They really say that like, you know, you don't just, you know, donate a little bit of money and then your, you know, work with the Pitch In Foundation is done. They expect if you're going to run with that team that you're going to constantly be with them. And you see that. You see that in the way that they're always out there and they're always, and, and, and CeCe's always talking about this stuff. Amber's always talking about this stuff. They have their big uh, uh, charity softball game at the end of June, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of celebrities, all kinds of athletes, and they're going to raise a ton of money. And th- that money is going to be directed to a very specific cause, right. which is important to them. So it's, it's really special. Yeah. When I was reporting the story, it's, it's so important to both the Sabathias and Amber said something. I found really impactful. She said that she's worried that when Cece eventually retires, that the foundation will retire. She doesn't want that to happen, which is why I think it's so important that they form these relationships with not only the people that give back, but the other players in the clubhouse who Cece is with every single day. It's so important to Cece as a leader, as a veteran, to not only be a leader on the field, but to be a leader off the field. And he'll tell you that himself. He wants to set an example for all of the young guys like you are given this platform you're given this opportunity and you don't have to use it you can do whatever you want with it but if you choose to do good 
there's so much good that you can do. And it really reminds me of when Carlos Beltran was still here. I remember very vividly, it was, I guess it was the 2014 season. It was Jeter's last season. There was a Sunday afternoon that was Derek Jeter day. It was a big, bold letter day at the stadium. Kind of a lot of stuff going on. The team was off on Monday. I think it was, it might've been their last off day of the season. Maybe they had one more after that, but it was, you know, September and these guys are exhausted. Sunday night, Beltron's foundation had an event and I'm telling you like nearly every member of the team was there and you just got this sense that like the players know that this is part of you know the lifestyle right that that they're expected to do some of this stuff and it doesn't need to be something they send a press release about every time it doesn't need to be something but you know they're going to be there and they're going to support their teammates in doing this stuff and I agree you, you brought it before I could get to it but you know this concern that Amber has and that CC has that you're only important as long as you're a major league baseball player you could see the work that they're doing right now to make sure that that doesn't end with his career you know, another thing that your story reminded me of was a couple of years ago, I was doing a one-page thing on a Brett Gardner community event. Uh, and it was during the summer, and it was him helping out distribute food and supplies in a, some you know basketball court near the stadium. And a car pulls up, and we were expecting Gardner, and I think we were expecting his wife too. Mm-hmm. And Gardner comes out, and his wife comes out, his parents come out, and his kids come out. And there was just this idea that, you know, Brett Gardner knows how lucky he is and he knows that his kids are going to grow up extremely wealthy extremely privileged and it's important to him that they see the other side and that the importance that you know being lucky means trying to pass along some of their luck and these are young kids i mean you know it's a lot to expect that they truly got every bit of the message of that day but you can bet that you know the more they do things like this the more it becomes a part of their life that you know being fortunate and being privileged means you know, keeping an eye on the people who don't have it so good. And I thought that was really special that he made sure that this wasn't just about going out there, doing this event, getting a couple of camera snaps so that he could show that he was doing it. Certainly, that's not why you bring your kids to something like this. You bring your kids because it's important to you that it becomes important to them. And for Brett Gardner specifically, Brett Gardner and his wife do so much work in the community in their hometown in Charleston where they both live in the off season and in New York and they do not publicize most of it it's all done kind of under the radar and they don't they don't need the publicity they just know how fortunate they are and they know how important it is to share their fortune with those who are not as lucky as they are and so for him to show up with his entire family does not surprise me one bit because it's so important to him to give back and show his kids that like this is what we do and it's not for any reason other than because we should do it Mm -hmm. it's not to get publicity it's not to say like oh look at how great we are it is because we are fortunate and these other people might not be and we should help because we are we are in the position to help and that was important to Gardner and, and David Robertson, who I mentioned in the story, who gives back to his community back in Alabama, which was hit with the tornadoes a few years back. So he and his wife do High Socks for Hope. It's just, and this is by no means an exhaustive list of all of the Yankees in the clubhouse who give back. A lot of them do other stuff under the radar that I didn't mention, but these these guys are kind of... I don't know, leading the way in showing that they have this platform and they're willing to do something with it, whether it's quietly or loudly, they want to make sure that their communities and the people who are important to them and the, and the communities that are important to them are impacted because they can. 
special story. It's a special week. You know, this is look, this is a really good team this year. This has been a very fun baseball season in a lot of ways. It's just, again, this is hokey, whatever you want to say. It's nice to have a week like this. It's nice to have a story like this in the magazine this month. Just, I'm not going to say the baseball stuff isn't important. I think the baseball stuff is very important. I think the baseball stuff is why this stuff is able to happen. But, you know, it really is special to see the things that our our affiliation with the Yankees makes us, you know, a part of, in a sense. Like, I appreciate the ways that Hope Week elevates my job in mm-hmm. general and my position here. I appreciate the work that the players do. I, I very much appreciate the work that, you know, the PR staff just doesn't sleep this week. Um, I mean that really sincerely. <laughs> yeah, they're, no, they're all over town prepping this stuff. Run ragged. But it's special. And it's a special time to be a part of the Yankees family. I know it's special for the players. I know it's special for the people who get to enjoy the events. And it's just a really great time to, you know, get to see this stuff happen. Yeah, so look for our coverage of Hope Week in the July issue in this June issue, which is on sale now. You can find... My story is called Passing the Torch, and coming up on this episode of the podcast, you'll hear from some of my interviews that I did for this story from Cece Sabathia, Luis Severino, those kinds of guys. And after that, we're going to talk to one of our other writers and editors, Thomas Golianopoulos, about a story he did, a really interesting story about Chin Ming Wong in a documentary that's coming out about the picture. So stick around. For my story on players who form foundations, I wanted to know what drives them to give back, and I talked to a lot of people about this. In the following clips, you'll hear from Cece Sabathia, Luis Severino, and Brett Gardner about what drove them to give back and why it's so important to them. Here's some of those conversations. So when did you know that you wanted to kind of form your own charity and do that? Um, I don't know. I think when I, whenever we started the foundation is when we wanted to start the charity. I think I've always wanted to give back. I think I've always, you know, had that. I think, uh, you know, I was telling a story about Dave, meeting Dave Stewart, and, right. you know, that, that was the reason why I wanted to, you know, the impact that he had on me was the reason why I wanted to start giving back and, you know, try to do that for kids. So I think that's always been, I think, starting the foundation was just a... a a formality, you know, giving away so much money and not going to the places where I thought it should be going. So we want to do our own thing. How have you kind of grown in the years that you started doing the charity? How have you seen your impact kind of leave an impact? I don't know. I mean, I think just the time and the, and the love and the care that, I mean, basically my whole family puts into it. I mean, it's a family thing. I mean, our family and our friends, our, our extended friends, um, even people that you know we've met through doing different events have become family and, and stuff like that. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to, in that aspect, and I think as far as leaving an impact, just seeing kids walking around my hometown with backpacks that I gave them, or um, you know the boys and girls club over here in the Bronx, you know the kids, the bikes that we gave them one year, you know the field renovations, just the different things, um, big or small. You know I think uh, it all it all makes a difference. What kind of a difference does something like that make? Because you don't think like oh you're just giving a a backpack, but really you're giving them something that they don't have, they don't have access to. Yeah, and, and that's that's something that, uh, you know, I think as a parent and, you know, you want for your kids, so, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to help somebody else's kids in that way, uh, that's something that you want to try to do, and you want, you know, kids to have stuff that you didn't have. Um, you know, I was in the same situation, you know, it was tough getting school supplies and things like that, getting started for school, so... 
uh, you know, you want to start kids off on the right foot. You, I remember how good it felt when you got your backpack and all your binders and things like that, and you're just ready for school. So, um, you know, we, we want to, you know, have kids feel good about going to class. What's been an experience that's touched you the most? That's that's left you kind of feeling wow. Uh, they all they all do. I think. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's one in particular. I guess. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, I always love spending time with the kids from the Boys and Girls Club, um, just because I see myself in a lot of them. You know, I was the kid running around the Boys and Girls Club, so anytime I get a chance to go to a club or hang out with kids at the club, I think uh, is, is the most impactful for me. A lot of your teammates, past, present, have also given back. Is that something that you think young guys look up to when they see a veteran player forming a charity or going to these events? I think, well, you hope so. I think that's the goal is to, you know, pass it down and keep it going. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that's that's always uh, the goal. I mean, I, when I was playing in Cleveland, you know, Jim Tomey was a big uh, guy in the community. And I always admired that about him. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that makes a big difference. So you're starting a foundation, right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, me and my wife and me, we have an idea to, you know, uh, giving back to the community. So we started uh, working. So we started a foundation uh, for uh, education okay. in Dominica. I think uh, that is an important part of, of being somebody. So uh, we started doing that like two years ago. So, you know, we take, you know, uh, books, uh, uh, backpacks, and even uh, a presence, you know. Uh, that was uh, last year, when we were there, we have, like, maybe, like, 200 backpacks. With Inside, they have, like, pens, like, three or four uh, books, and stuff like that. And this is for kids in the Dominican? Yeah, I mean, what age? We, uh, any, age. any age. And we're trying to do it here, too. Mm -hmm. You know, half and half here in New York and Dominican, and you know, uh, it's working. It's a working project. Why was it important to you to do something like that? Because I know I've seen a lot of Dominican players, uh, and you know, a lot of players that came here and don't know nothing about, you know, and don't know even to write or something like that. But I think that's important for me, and how to learn English too. So if you're smart, if you go to school, if you you know maybe go to college. Uh, got a great opportunity to learn English here. What have you learned from watching guys like Carlos Beltran and Cece Sebastian and those guys with their charities? Have they influenced you at all? Of course. Not even, even those guys. Even uh, Pedro Martinez, too, you know. Uh, so that's great, you know, giving back to the community because, you know, I, I've been to a lot of stuff, you know. I've been to a school with only one book, and, and I know how hard it is you know, to be in that situation, so that's why I want to help everybody. What does it mean to you when you see the faces or when you give back to them? How does it make you feel? It makes me feel happy, very happy, you know, because, you know, I'm doing stuff that I like, and I know that I'm helping uh, somebody else. Do you feel uh, a responsibility as an athlete or as somebody with a platform, somebody who's made it to give back? Is that something that you feel yeah. like you need to yeah, of course. I feel like, you know, if God is giving me the, the opportunity to make money and, and, and being here, I think that I have to pay back. And I know you do a lot in Charleston and here, and your wife does a lot. So what? why do you want to do that? 
I mean, I think it's important to, uh, you know, I just think it's important to use the platform that we've been given to uh, to try and give back to, you know, not just the community here in New York, but the community where we're from in Charleston and the place we call home. And, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, being with the Yankees for so long, I think that um, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, things that you can do to, to use kind of um, the platform that we've been given and the image that we have to, to try and give back and to help people that are in need that may be less fortunate than us. And, um, you know, it's always something that, um, you know, always enjoy putting a smile on somebody's face. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. All right, welcome back. Uh, I'm here with Thomas Gulianopoulos. Welcome, Thomas. Good to be here. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Thomas, for the June issue, you wrote a really cool story about Chin Ming Wong and a documentary that came out, is is coming out. Tell me, wh- where can we it find ha- the documentary? It has played at a few film festivals on the West Coast, and it is premiering on July 29th as part of the New York Asian American International Film Festival. That's cool. Uh, so tell us about it. What made you want to write the story and what did you learn while writing the story and, and what's the documentary about? Well, our own Nathan Makaborski was the one who brought the documentary to my attention. Someone added him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta um, get those mentions. Yeah, informing him that there was a documentary coming out. And um, as soon as I heard about it, I jumped at the chance just because I feel like um, Chin Ming Wong had such a great story in that he was the unquestioned ace of the staff for two years. Won 19 games both times, was the game one starter in the playoffs both years. And then it all went away. It all went away and like with one wrong step. Literally, uh, he got injured uh, running the bases in Houston during an interleague game, and um, that was it for his career, basically. So, of course, I jumped at the chance, and I contacted the director um, over email, and luckily he was showing a screening that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so I hurried down from the Bronx to um, the Midtown West, and uh, I watched uh, a screening of the film. And then we set up plans for uh, to interview Chin Ming in Orlando that week, that same weekend. So it all came together really quickly. It was great. I was um, I was so glad that everything worked out. And um, documentary is it's it's a strange documentary um, in that it uh, starts out as a pretty moody piece. Um, like there are a lot of shots of uh, Chin Ming like walking and staring into the distance <laughs> and. Um, there's like this like low ambient like uh, score to the film, but um, towards the end when he makes his comeback, it turns into like almost like a sports documentary with like a, there's even like a workout montage set to music, and um, of course the film culminates with uh, Chin Ming breaking 90 miles per hour on his sinker again and getting a major league contract with the Kansas City Royals. So it's a it's a comeback story. It's all about Chin Ming Wong trying to come back after all these injuries that you, well, the one injury and then coming back from multiple injuries, subsequent injuries afterward. The best thing about it, though, is the access that uh, Chin Ming granted the filmmaker Frank Chen. Frank was a a huge Chin Ming Wong fan, um, also of Taiwanese descent. Uh, He's actually Canadian. And um, he made like a pilgrimage, basically, from uh, from school where he was studying. 
at RISD to come up here uh, to New York to watch Chiming pitch in 2005 during his rookie season. And they eventually met uh, through a mutual friend in Scranton um, when Chiming Wong was pitching for the Rail Riders uh, in 2013. And uh, later on, he proposed the uh, subject of a documentary to Chiming's longtime agent. And um, after a little bit of a back and forth, uh, Chiming finally agreed. And uh, he, uh, Frank, was on the road with Chiming for two years through. 20 some odd cities they went to three countries they were in uh, they went to Taiwan together and the access was was pretty incredible like he was there when Chin Ming got released from the Atlanta Braves in um, June 2015 which was almost like the end of his career basically like he had to decide at that point whether he was going to continue or or hang it up and uh, he actually drove from Georgia to um, Maryland to pitch in the International League and um, Frank was there along the way, and um, you get to see all that in the film. It's highly recommended, even though even I'm, I'm not just saying that because <laughs> I've heard a story about it. If you like baseball uh, and you like uh, sports documentaries, it's definitely for you. It sounds really interesting, and, and like you were saying, Chin Ming Wong was the ace of the staff for two years here at the Yankees and then just disappeared, it seemed like. And you got to sit with Chin Ming Wong and, and have an interview with him too, right? Yeah, I went down to Orlando. We met on a um, Saturday afternoon in a strip mall right outside Orlando. And uh, we sat there for an hour with Frank. Frank was there to act as an uh, interpreter. Ming speaks English, but when it comes to longer interviews, he was much more comfortable using a, an interpreter. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was, uh, he, was, he was pretty open. Uh, he, uh, we spoke for an hour afterwards. Um, we all had lunch together, and um, I mean, he flashed a bit of the wit that, like Ron Guidry, um, who I interviewed for the piece, also um, brought up. Like we were um, sitting in the parking lot waiting for someone, and um, we were sitting near this Bentley. And um, I was thinking the whole time, like, wow, Chin Ming Wong rolled up in a Bentley to. Uh, <laughs> To, uh, to the strip to mall. This, to the strip mall in Orlando <laughs> for this interview. And then um, some guy, like, just, like, walked past us and, like, got in the car and drove away. And I, I told him that. I was like, I, I was like, here we were sitting here, and the whole time I thought this was your car. And he was like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> but, I mean, don't feel bad for him because I'm pretty sure he was driving a Mercedes truck. But, I mean, it wasn't a Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> he's still fine. He's okay. Yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's doing okay. What uh, what other big takeaways did you get from both the documentary and talking to Chin Ming? He he's in your piece. You said he's kind of soft spoken. He's humble, and it took him a while to even open up to Frank. But after he did finally agree to it, he granted such access. Why did he do that? Well, they developed a friendship. Uh, like Frank is uh, isn't you know this was his like debut film. Like he had done one um, short doc on indie rock. And uh, so Frank's whole like belief system is that, uh, you know, the the strength of a documentary is not on um, you know the experience of a filmmaker. It's it uh, it works uh, based on the relationship between the filmmaker and the subject, you know, which you see in the access given. Basically, they struck up a friendship, and um, uh, Chiming just got more and more comfortable with him. And it wasn't even like a vocal um, acknowledgement of it. It was just that he would just kick him out less often. <laughs> he would let him stick around a little longer than usual. And um, that's what happened. He just got comfortable around him. Again, like over two years and all the 
time they spent on the road together and all the dinners they had together, um, like it would only be natural for, for that to occur. The thing that, uh, that, that struck me about um, talking to him is the fact that uh, Qingming never announced his retirement. Uh, he pitched in 2016 for the Royals. He went uh, 6-0 with a 4.22 ERA and 38 relief appearances, which is not great, but... Um, not terrible. Not but terrible. Yeah. And, um, but the Royals released him in September um, after Chiming goes on the DL with the biceps tendonitis. So his career is, for all intention, I mean, for, it's, his career is over, uh, basically. Uh, he works out a lot, he says. He, I asked him if he still throws, and he switched over to English and said once in a while. But um, he's not retired. He's just inactive. And I feel like a lot of it is just the um, reluctance of a ball player to admit that it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, when I asked him about it, he talked about how much he misses the camaraderie and the, the goal of like 25 guys working together to win a championship. He holds out hope, but it's, it's not. He realizes, you know, he's old, he's a reliever, and um, it's uh, pretty much a long shot for him for him to get signed at this point. Going, um, going back into the, while I was researching the piece, the thing that struck me was about how much baseball has changed in the dozen years since Chin Ming Wong um, was uh, the Yankees' ace. Uh, this guy finished second in the American League Cy Young Award voting in 2006. Mm-hmm. And you know, granted he won 19 games, but he had an ERA of, I believe it was like 3.73. Um, he averaged a major league low 3.14 strikeouts per nine innings. Hitters put the ball in play yeah, against him. Yeah, he pitched to contact, for yeah, sure. 84.2% of their plate appearances against him. I mean, this guy would struggle to get a job in the rotation in a rotation today with the way the numbers are trending, how like it seems that GMs just uh, want high strikeouts. And though, though he did throw in the high 90s, he like you, as you said, he pitched to contact. Like, in his major league debut, he got 15 ground ball outs and in seven innings. So it's just it's just crazy how much the game has changed and how uh, pitchers are evaluated. Whereas this guy was, um, we looked at him as an ace, but if you use today's metrics, it would, bottom of the rotation he'd starter, be a bottom of the rotation <laughs> starter, yeah. Well, it's a really cool piece, Thomas. I really enjoyed it, and um, I, I would I would like to see the documentary when it uh, when it when it comes out when is it where can we find it july 29th as part of the new york asian american international film festival that's awesome and And what's um, the piece called in yankees magazine the piece is called a different sort of happiness and we did not mention the name of the documentary yes that's a good idea yeah which is (laughs) awful plug which is uh late life the chin ming wong story late life the chin ming wong story it is a double entendre because his bread and butter pitch the sinker had incredible late life. It would appear to be a strike. It would be like a 95 mile per hour pitch that was about thigh high, and then at the last second it would dip and dive seven, eight inches low and run away from a right-handed hitter, which would produce all those weak ground balls. Very That's cool. Also about the late life. Thomas, great job on the story. Uh, Thank you. Like I said, check it out in the June issue of Yankees Magazine. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Check us out online. We're on. Twitter at Yanks Magazine, rate and review and subscribe to the podcast and send us your your suggestions and notes with podcasts at yankees.com. Thanks everybody. Talk to you soon.